Hello and welcome to KPMG's Advice Worth Keeping podcast, where we continue to hear about leading practices in privacy. I am Steve Stein, partner and co-lead of KPMG's Information Governance and Privacy Practice in the U.S. And joining us today is a very special guest, Jenny Hamilton, who is the Senior Counsel in Charge of Data Collection and Related Rights at John Deere. So Jenny, welcome to Chicago. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's sort of cold here, but I guess it's no worse than Moline, Illinois, right? It's about the same, but we have plenty of sunshine, so I'll take it. Oh, good. Well, we're so happy to have you in the Chicago office and in the Chicago recording studio for this conversation on privacy. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So I've been on the Midwest journey since I was 22 years old, I graduated from the University of Texas in Austin, Hook'em Horns, <laughs> and here I am today in Chicago. But I've traveled from Austin to South Dakota, to Iowa City to go to law school, to Chicago to start my life as a litigation associate, back to Iowa for litigation, and then figuring out the e-discovery thing for John Deere. Awesome, so tell us about your current role at Deere. My current role at Deere, well, that has been evolving for 14 years now, but I started out again in the litigation capacity, figuring out e-discovery and how to make sure that we were complying with the upcoming federal rules of civil procedure. And as we progressed in the development of that program, we realized that we needed to have some pretty good privacy processes for collecting data in other countries in other deer offices and bringing it back to the states to comply with our litigation rules, but doing it in a way that balanced the right to privacy in these other countries. And I think it's interesting because in a lot of companies, the privacy management around some of the current requirements on data subject rights is somewhat disaggregated from the litigation data collection folks. You've tried to bring them together. Absolutely. Well, I also have a background in European Union law, studied it in law school, and always had an interest in the European culture. So this was a natural fit for me personally, along with the demands of the job. What Deere wanted was to make sure that the person who had a lot of knowledge about the flow of data through the enterprise and the different offices, that that knowledge transferred into the privacy and compliance space so we weren't reinventing the wheel. Well, it's a total natural, right? I mean, it seems like a natural, but not everyone's doing it that way. No, not everyone's doing it that way. Some companies don't have a very developed e-discovery program. So, you know, it may not make as much sense for them to try to fit it together with the privacy and compliance side. On the data mapping piece, GDPR makes that a, a mandate, right? Haven't litigation attorneys for e-discovery for years thought about data mapping or thought about having data maps? What's your take on that? Because they're a mandate under GDPR, inherent under CCPA and new emerging laws coming out. It was a requirement of e-discovery, but many people did not undertake such maps. The requirement of e-discovery was that the attorneys needed to have a basic understanding of their clients information systems. And so the hot trend was to draw up these data maps of all the core systems. 
And so this is really nothing new, as you mentioned. How it's being done today versus the original idea to draw these data maps, and it really just got out of hand in terms of trying to have enough technical competence and complexity, but also be understandable to a non-technical person. And then things changing so quickly, the data maps would become out of date as soon as you finished. That was the joke. And then you'd start over again. That fell out of favor. And people realized it just wasn't very practical or useful, although it was a good exercise to get the attorneys the information they needed from the IT systems. But what was interesting is when GDPR mandated data mapping, then a lot of the e-discovery attorneys breathed a huge sigh and tried to figure out how we could call it something other than data mapping, (laughs) (laughs) or it's a different approach. So now it's very similar in terms of sending out questionnaires or having guided interviews and documenting what are the different processes and mapping it almost verbally instead of visually with all the diagrams. So it's quite a bit of a different approach and seems to be a better fit even for e-discovery purposes than the original concept. I recall working with a very large insurance company that had started a process to map its IT environment and brought that data map to an outside litigation for all of its outside litigators. And most of the outside litigators, when they saw the map, thought, I never saw this. I don't don't want anything to do with this. Attorney-client privilege or product protection. (laughs) Please put it in a drawer. (laughs) Don't take it out again. Don't take it out again. So on privacy program development, obviously you have experience with a company or companies that interact with the public I don't know, do you have any, just for our listeners, some initial thoughts that you have around what would you expect? What are you seeing others provide from a program perspective? Leveraging what we've put together in terms of understanding how data flows in the company and how to run searches, how to identify what's relevant, how to scope what's relevant. So let's just back up to that. E-discovery folks, the litigators have years and decades of experience in scoping. And that is so critical to getting it right downstream. How to take a law like CCPA that was written very quickly and operationalize that and live in all these gray spaces and make scoping decisions so that you can move the ball forward developing your process and moving the requests you might be getting in from consumers to an output. And that is just a very natural fit for the type of work that I've done for most of my career. Yeah. And maybe we talk a little bit about, you know, we are recording early January of 2020. Happy New Year. We certainly have some perspective from KPMG of what we've seen companies receive from DSR. What are you hearing from colleagues in the industry in terms of demand? Colleagues in the industry, what we're hearing is that there have not been a lot of requests submitted or the requests being submitted are really requests for help, product support, unrelated to privacy almost entirely. And also heard that part of the reason for this is there's been so much else going on in the world that the CCPA, when it came into effect, was overshadowed by a lot of other news media and was pushed to page three or four in the newspaper, the headlines. And so maybe that's playing a little bit into it. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think similar. So we've seen it across the board where some organizations have had very few. Some companies that we've done work with have received thousands of requests. Mm. A lot of them are opt out type requests as opposed to a access my data or delete my data. But we are seeing this cascading amount of demand. And I think certainly with the news, also the California AG, we haven't seen any public relations effort as of yet. So we'll see. Yep. You know, I think all companies have to right size their investment, their teams accordingly. Absolutely. I would think. While we have you here, would love to hear some of your thoughts on privacy technology. I know it's an area that's near and dear to you. You've got a great understanding of the marketplace. In a real general question, looking for sort of the good, the bad, the ugly that you've seen from privacy technology. Yeah, I, I come from a family of tech experts. And then C++, COBOL, and had early certification in Microsoft, and I'm not that person. But I grew up around it, and for me, what I've always been interested in from my days, even when I was selling computers to the government at Gateway and before law school, was the interaction and usability of the technology. I remember talking to someone in the engineering group at Gateway, told me he was a human factors engineer. I had no idea what that was. That was so cool. And so that's translated as I've gotten into a role where we have to consider whether we need technology to assist us in different processes for compliance. And so certainly in e-discovery, a lot of people use review platforms and data analytics and legal hold tools and searching tools and collection tools and all that. And what's been interesting in privacy space is there's some areas for growth, but a lot of the tools in the privacy world and cyber world can just leverage what's already been put together because you've got your identification and search technologies already out there and there's been you know, gazillion of data been put through them. They're proven, mm -hmm. they're super mature. And the costs are such that a lot of companies can take advantage of them. But are they usable? I always look at a product in terms of who is going to be using it. It's not always me. And what is their level of interest of becoming certified or that uber expert that nobody else can achieve that level of understanding in this space, in the compliance world, a privacy world? which is like the new cousin to the mm -hmm. e-discovery folks. We're talking about professionals who are fairly new in their career, quite a few of them. I mean, you've got some of us who've kind of reinvented or always been in compliance, but GDPR was, and IEPP was responsible for developing a whole cottage industry of professionals. And so, you know, some of them are more technical than others. And how is that all going to work together so that we're leveraging common platforms and we're efficient and cost effective and it's easy to use. And what's interesting as I work with younger attorneys or privacy professionals who are used to the iPhone design. I mean, iPhone, what's it been around, 10 years? Uh -huh. That's it. Yeah. But they're used to it. That's normal. So their expectations are even greater than mine in terms of the technology out there and what they want to see happen. So there's a very high, high bar for the tech industry in terms of what they're going to put out to support us. Yeah. I'm intrigued by e-discovery, at least historically, have been so centered on documents. 
have been centered on email and files, right? And so a lot of the search tools really had that specific focus on unstructured content. Whereas a lot of the data that a consumer would be requesting be stored in databases and other structured systems. Both separation and convergence of the search and selection tools yep. to encapsulate that which would be needed on a data access request. I don't know if you have a thought on that. Well, it was interesting because the challenge back then was how do we get unstructured data, lots of it, and identify what's relevant. Now it's about how do we get data out of structured systems, like you said. Back then, it was always a little easier in the sense that a lot of structured systems, because they were for business use, there was already usually some mechanism for exporting yeah. the data, finding it and exporting it was in a database versus the unstructured data. That fell by the wayside a little bit, and the Sedona conference put out database principles and made things a little more intuitive and comforting about how to get that data. And now it's back on the front burner. It's like, oh, but can you export it in a way that complies with the law? And a lot of these systems weren't designed for that. Uh -huh. They were designed for very specific business outputs and business needs. As we move to uh, close our conversations, obviously been great to talk to you. For folks who have similar roles or are interested in roles like you have, any big pearls of wisdom that you may have about how you've been successful in your time in your career? I think the quote that stands out for me is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, do it together. Eyes wide open if you come into a role, whether it's more on the litigation or discovery side or whether it's more on the privacy side or in the compliance group. You have to see it, I think, to be successful in the long term as a partnership that you're going to be partnering, you're not making autonomous decisions, even if you're the leader of that group, and you have to figure out how to leverage what's already out there in order to manage the program manage costs. And so in the e-discovery world, the partnership was like a marriage, it was IT and legal. I cannot do it without IT, mm -hmm. and IT cannot do it without legal. And now you can look at it a couple of different ways, but I look at it as e-discovery, at least in the DSARS world and in my role, partnering with privacy data subject access requests or rights. We are joined at the hip now, and you could say that compliance and IT and the e-discovery function legal are joined at the hip. And also that there's just going to continue to be cutting edge changes and evolutions and you can nail it in one area and you get that one side of the Rubik's Cube right? that's all red <laughs> and then your other sides are out of whack. And so it's, it's a lifelong practice is what it's evolved into where you're just constantly going to be working it so that you're focusing on the micro and the right decisions for that matter or that request but you can't sacrifice getting it right on the micro if it puts the other requests or other processes in the company, particularly in the legal compliance space, out of whack. Yeah. And so you're just gonna have to keep working that Rubik's Cube. You have to have the long view and buckle in because it's going to be frustrating and just persevere through it. But there's a lot of fun that comes out and look at us, we're like smiling and laughing. Where it comes out of being part of something that's new and upcoming. And I think that's where it is a very natural fit for people who were initially attracted to e-discovery. Yeah. 
well, will have a natural interest in, in this area as well. But it, and it also seems like the relationships with the business that you obviously foster as part of the e-discovery piece would be just so crucial on the privacy end to really understand, you know, not just systems, but what are the businesses, what are the processes, where do they interact with personal information? It seems like it's natural. Right. Which roles have what information and can't just have one person at the table from the business side. So who are the right roles to have and then how to foster that conversation just like you're doing now, how to get the right information in a timely way. I mean, that's that's a challenge. And so I guess maybe we'll just close on how much pressure in the last 14 or so years in Iowa has been exerted on you <laughs> to like lose your Texas Longhorn affiliation and fandom. I mean, it's probably pretty tough. It's been tremendous. It's tremendous, I bet. It's not necessarily from the Iowans, though. It's been from the Michiganders. <laughs> <laughs> Illinois doesn't care so much. But when I moved to South Dakota, there was a huge Nebraska yep. football fan. And then he just squished it out of me like immediately. So within six months, I went home and my mom's friend commented at the end of a conversation that she detected a little bit of a Yankee accent. In oh, me. my God. And I knew it was game over. So oh. that happened very early on. Oh, that's too fun. Too great. Well, thank you so much for coming to join us today. To all our listeners, thank you for joining. Should you wish to discuss this topic further or connect with me on other privacy topics, contact me at SS. Stein at kpmg.com. That's S-S-S-T-E-I-N at kpmg.com. Thank you for your time today. And we look forward to bringing you more podcasts in the future. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you.